I just missed my pants. What? I loved 
obviously Batman stuck out to me the most because you know how much I love Batman. So do I. Uh, Joel, you too, but not as much because oh please because I you know my love with other characters. exactly exactly you cheat on Batman I don't cheat too often at all. you I cheat just, on Batman there are other characters often. that need love too no one exists but Batman see that's where you're different <laughs> Batman I have undying love for you but anyway I, I I'm not gonna get into my uh, thoughts on it yet I want to start with you Joel because you. Um, as someone who has been the most supportive of DC throughout everything, finally get a trailer to something as beautiful as Justice League. Mm-hmm. So I want your thoughts on the Justice League game. Well, they, they, they did quite a, uh, a tease. Because mm-hmm. the last two days we've been getting little snippets, like little vignettes of all the characters, like the, most of the characters. Like we started with Aquaman. And they then they threw out a poster and they said they start then they went to um who's next? Batman. Batman intervening yet and they did the poster. Then they did Wonder Woman and then the poster. And then those are cool little snippets. And then they're like, You now I'm waiting for Saturday. Right. This morning came and then I, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, Oh, it's coming in like five minutes and like, holy crap, what? like I wasn't even paying attention. Like I figured it'd be like in the afternoon. And then it dropped. It, and it, I'm not gonna lie, when I first started, I'm like, what am I watching? Because like, I'm in the snow. I don't mm-hmm. even know who. I honestly didn't realize it was Batman at first. Until like it got, until it took off his mind. I'm like, oh, I, I guess I should have figured this. <laughs> should have figured. Should have figured Batman. Yeah. Super mysterious. Bruce at all Wayne. Time. Yeah. His goggles. Hey, those goggles look like the goggles from the 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 scene, the nightmare scene. Yeah. Yes, it does, Mike. Yes, it does. I do, right? I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Yes. I'm no, not crazy. no, you're not crazy. It, 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 it resembles it a lot. All right. All right. So. Yeah, I loved the, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed the trailer very much. Uh, the only thing missing from the trailer is stuff I don't even want to see yet. <laughs> like, that, you know, like, I don't need to see it right now, and that's all the thing missing from it. In my opinion, I enjoyed a, a couple scenes in it. Of course, Batman being my favorite character as well. I don't care what the one is. Um, <laughs> I loved most of everything I saw of Batman. Him swinging, him throwing whatever in that palm. That was awesome. Uh, we got to see the Flash. We got to see Aquaman. Of course, Aquaman stood out like most, like like a sore thumb. Like he absolutely. absolutely amazing. Him and weird looking eyes. We got to see Mira swimming. Yes, we did. I, I'm not gonna lie. I even like a lot of what I saw. Cyborg, especially him flying. We got to see Cyborg flying. I've only mm-hmm. seen him fly in I think the the animated movie, right? Yeah. I don't remember yeah. flying anything else. So that's no, pretty the cool. The animated movie, yeah. Right. Well, I think no, so. the animated. Movie, I don't remember. I'm thinking him with the. The, the thrusters on, right. but I don't think that counts. I think you mean literally like how Iron Man flies, right? Sort of. Well, I think it's more boosters than Iron Man. More boosters. But I can't tell. I don't know how to see. He's I, more techni- tech. He's an actual technology sound than Iron Man. Oh, he's a technopath. Yes. Then he has the battle mode mask. No, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm super psyched. Wonder Wonder Woman looks great. You know, everyone looks great. We saw Gordon. That was cool. That was cool. That was one of my favorite scenes. It's him on, on the roof with Aquaman and all that. And we got to see Henry Allen. Henry Allen, I didn't expect to see Flash's dad in this. So no. that was pretty cool, too. So, yeah, I mean, in, in, to close that up, yeah, I love this trailer. It sounds uh, like it. Damn. Yeah, there's a lot of CG, uh, no doubt. It definitely looks like a Snyder movie. So I'm not, I'm not going to claim it as like most of his movies. Um, so, yeah. How'd you guys feel? Um... Well, I felt as though um, this was great. This was a great trailer for anyone who um, may have had doubts 
about this franchise after what they saw last year. Definitely didn't hurt them. Uh, definitely didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great way to kind of just tell people, hey, hey, relax. You're good. <laughs> relax. Now, I will say it's just the first trailer. Yeah. We were saying this with the first trailer of BVS. That was an amazing BVS trailer. Right. Yeah. We were saying this with the first trailer of Suicide Squad. Awesome. And I like all the trailers. Okay. Well, I'll give you that. <laughs> um, and we were also saying this about the first trailer of Wonder Woman for us to wait to see it. Also, also, also like all those. So <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to, this is by no means me seeping in any type of negativity. I'm just, I'm playing devil's right. advocate. There's always a possibility um, they can fuck it up. Right. Uh, so I don't want it to seem like we're like, yeah, this movie's going to be the greatest in the world. Then we yeah. see it and we're Temper, just like, uh, we're just saying we're cautious. Yeah. We love the trailer. Yes, I did. But we are cautious yeah. <laughs> of what we get going forward. So far, I like what I see. Right. About that. That's Absolutely. Um, I'd say what stuck out to me the most, I told you I love the, the scene with Barry and his father because mm-hmm. it speaks to me more when he, uh, it speaks more, not necessarily to me, but it speaks more when he told Bruce he doesn't really have to. Um, and it makes sense because it seems like he devotes all his time to maybe figuring out how to get his dad right. out of prison, quite like Grant's Flash and the CW show. But with less of a, an ensemble friendship. Right, right. But he has literally no friendship. <laughs> less well, of I won't say no that. friendship because we're not sure. We don't know yet. We're not sure when Iris comes into his life. It right. could be in this movie. Well, and apparently she might have a role. Friends. She might be in the movie. Right. Yeah, I heard so. she is in the movie. So they could become friends. Through his actions of this movie. Right. Um, but at this point in time, from what we know, as he stated, he does not have any friends. Um, like right. Right. In the CW show, that's not what's going on in the DCE. There's plenty of fucking friends. Right. In the CW universe, Flash is just riddled with It's friends. called Flash and Friends. Huh? Right. <laughs> um, so this... <laughs> Dane has a nice little theme song to go with um, from this this uh, depiction of uh, the Flash, it looks like all his time is devoted to his dad visiting like him in prison. Yeah, it looks like it. And uh, trying to figure out how to get him out of prison. Right. Now, by that, I don't mean breaking him out. I mean literally finding right. concrete evidence. He could obviously do that. Yeah. Right. He could obviously do that. He wants amazing. to find concrete evidence that can get him out. Right. So. This had me thinking, before I go into the rest of my thoughts and the Justice League trailer, this has me thinking, remember how it was announced we'll be getting Rogues as the main villain? This has me thinking we're still going to get a crap load of reverse flash. I don't doubt it. Uh, maybe not as the main villain, but... Not as the main villain. His presence will be his felt. His presence will be felt heavily. I felt his presence in this. Imagine. His father's in prison. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> so you know they are following a already. similar storyline exactly, to, to the CW show. Right. And that we can connect to the fact that... The head of the D- no, no. Who's the head of the DC TV universe? Who's now the head of the um, DC film universe? Jeff Johns. Johns. Yeah. So Jeff Johns could say, listen, this is the recipe that's working well, here. It is his storyline. Exactly. He wrote, he wrote Rebirth yes, he or whatever. So it's like, he's like, look, it worked over here. Let's make it work over here. Well, this is just but, um, later on. Right. But before <laughs> I go any further thing. with my ideas, Dane, I want to throw it to you. Give us your thoughts on this trailer. Well, Joel, you know, this trailer wasn't the only humongous uh, form of justice that was out because I also had that in my pants after I saw this trailer. (laughs) My Lord, I was, it was visual candy, if you will. It was awesome. I enjoyed the tone of it. If they can match that tone in their movie uh, and not pull like a BBS, 
that would be uh, preferable because it's not too over the top. Well, not over the top, but it's not like Marvel. It reminded me, actually, of the animated series. And I remember, I remember Corey is the one who brought that up, and I have to agree with him. After watching the trailer several times uh, through different states of mind and also different uh, heat and cold settings within my house, I went down to 102 degrees. It changes everything, trust me. This trailer was a lot of fucking fun. And at one point, I remember seeing, I think, the Amazons fighting what looked like, uh, I don't know, parademons. Maybe it was other humans. Maybe it was Atlanteans. I don't, I don't know what the fuck's going on. But I'm excited. And that's all I have to say. I love the banter back and forth. Yep. I love Bruce Wayne in it. I thought he was great. And uh, I'm excited about the movie. I just hope that they don't. You know, some of the music choices kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, I would have preferred them just going with Come Together and just kind of like editing it and making it a little more trippy and loud or Helter Skelter instead of their weird techno version of the fucking song. But other than that, you know, whatever. Uh, I thought it was a cool trailer, and I can't wait for the movie even more so. And I don't think – I think that you are right, Jawan, that we're not going to see Superman until Comic-Con, and I don't think we're going to see Green Lantern until the actual movie, which I'm completely fine with. Uh, if if they have Army Hammer already as Green Lantern, maybe just keep it under wraps until the movie. I doubt it will happen, but I'm just saying I would be okay with it. Be a nice surprise. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I told Joel this when I spoke to, to Joel, uh, just me and him. I'm telling you guys now, when Zack <laughs> Snyder comes out for Comic-Con and goes, here's the cast of Justice League, um, it'll be quite similar to last year. Remember last year when um, – Ray Fisher, Gail Godot, um, uh, Ben Affleck, and Ezra Fisher, and Jason Momoa came out. Matt Damon. Like, All right, we can't forget Superman. And then Henry Cavill yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah. It will be similar to that. But after that, I am telling you guys, it is a strong feeling in my core. Okay. Once Henry Cavill comes out, Zach will be like, all right, we can't forget the seventh member. And then Army Hammer will come out. And then that will be our announcement of Army Hammer as Hal Jordan. Would, I see it in my core. That would win Comic-Con for me. It would win. For no, me. I cannot say that. I could say that. You could say that? Yeah. So if the entire Infinity War yeah. cast comes out. I don't out, give a fuck. That <laughs> would happen for you? Yes, it would. Even in an Infinity please. War trailer. The actual seven Justice League members would top anything. Wait, time out. I'll agree with you if what? Zack Snyder, once they're all on, and I don't mean just like some type of just, generic promo art, if there's a legit photo of the seven of them, right, exactly. fully costumed, right, right. then I will side with That's what, that's then what, I will that's what I'm thinking you. when you said you're... That's fine. Gonna, then that's I, fine. I don't expect them to just bring him out. Right. You know what I mean? If, if that's what they them, do, like then... That. If that's what they do, I'm sorry, an Infinity War trailer comes back. Yeah, okay. And then the entire... The Guardians, and Avengers, with Spider-Man. Because you know what? I've seen it all. It's just they're in the gather. That doesn't mean shit to me. I'm going to see it in the movie. I want to see something I've never seen. I've never seen the seven best in Okay. Like I said, That's just how if we get the... Uh, well, well, he yeah, means in the movie, live action. I mean, yeah, live if, action. Or I, I wouldn't like care I said, either. <laughs> I'll side with you. If that's exactly what we get, then yeah, I'll give you that. But it's just like last year's Comic-Con, with the Justice League trailer dropping... I thought that won it for When the Justice League trailer oh, okay. dropped at Comic-Con, right, right. and then the Black Panther cast was announced and came out. And that I was, was like, cool. uh, I give it to that. Then they officially Fine. announced Brie Larson at Comic-Con. That was cool. That too. then won it. But and the, then but we, the, you're saying that beat a trailer, and that's just a casting announcement. That's just a casting announcement. That's what I'm saying. That's I'm why, for me, are huge. But that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. 
the casting <laughs> announcement could be the trailer for you. So why and does that why, not? Why does that not make sense? No, no, no. It makes sense. I was just saying. Is, you're telling me. Is Marvel going to be at Comic Con? Yeah, uh, Marvel will be at Comic Con, but they have this thing this year too, right? So I thought, yeah, I thought they're going to be at Disney's thing. That's they're going to be yeah. at Disney's thing, and I guarantee you, it might not be Infinity War. That's my problem. But they will be at Comic Con. How much um, of a, mainly because Thor Ragnarok? I don't disagree. I think they will be there. I, yeah, just, I don't, I don't there. know how much of a presence they I want them to be there completely. Well, I, hate, I don't like the idea of them leaving Comic Con. I'm trying to think back to when Marvel wasn't the biggest thing coming out of the Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. I'm just waiting for the Justice League. I am too. I can't wait for Oh, that. oh, okay. I see what you're I, I thought you said you can't wait for the Justice League. I was about to say, yo, get out. Let me just get this morning. Go ahead, Let him out. Let it out. I, I have to, you know, basically clear the air. When I said I wasn't amused, it wasn't like I hated the trip. Okay. It was just like, it's like being teased by a woman. It's like, she showed you something, and then she puts it away, like, no, you know what, I'm not going to, no, you're not going to, you can walk, but no, no, no. So I'm just like, I, I, don't get me wrong, like, I, it was like watching Kurt Angle come back to the WWE, and I saw, you know, I love how the fact that they reacted, it's a giant piece. Trailer, it's like you know what? 
one. I'm gonna let you. We're gonna have a slap bet. Oh God! I'll let you slap me. This, I'll let you slap the crap out of me. I was wrong. Now, with Logan, I can't. But, oh my God! Let me ask you guys something. Let me ask you guys something. Um, are you guys at all? Did you get like a feel, maybe in a negative way, of like, uh, say, like a Suicide Squad feel with how they introed them and how they cut to a bunch of different musics, like a music video type of concept for this? Like, did you feel that way at all? Because I did a little bit. I'm not nervous too much, but it kind of bothered me if 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 anything with the trailer. If I'm nitpicking. The problem is I didn't I didn't hate it in Suicide Squad, but and that's only a trailer. You know? I didn't I didn't hate the music. Uh, I didn't hate the panning to to each character. Right, right. No, um, in Suicide Squad, my only issue is with the editing of you trying to make the songs directly fit mm-hmm. each character, and they weren't the best songs for each character. Yeah, so each it's, character had their own theme. Right. In Suicide Squad. In Suicide Squad. In Suicide Squad.
get Arthur Curry. And it was the exact same thing. You ever seen that movie? Yeah. I mean, they also took a little bit from Justice League War when yeah. um, Hal Jordan was like, don't tell me you're just some crazy guy dressed as a bat. Yeah. They took to that with Barry yeah. going, yeah. what's your superpower again? Yeah, basically. And he's like, I'm rich. And it's just like, eh, I'm style. rich, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, this um, but yeah, well, this time. Um, okay, so to get into my review of it, I love. I thought I gave it a nine out of ten. Right. Um, mm-hmm. like like we always say, Infinity War might be the only thing ever that I'll give a ten out of ten. Um, trailer wise, yeah. <laughs> um, but to me, that is a um. I'll definitely say that to me was a a solid nine out of ten. Uh, mainly because. Huh? You know, you give it eight. The way you marked out, you're going to give it a 10 out of 10. I can't give anything a 10 out of 10. I can't. I can't Especially give it a, a trailer. Because to me, if I give a trailer a 10 out of 10 and then I despise the movie, it uh, watches everything. If I had Green Lantern in it, I would have right. gave it a 10 out of 10. Of course you would. <laughs> I don't think they're going to put Green Lantern. He'll never be in a trailer, he, mainly he, he because be if it had one. naked Katy Perry in it, I would be, I would give it nah. a 10 out of 10. <laughs> they won't have him in a trailer because they're. Well, Katy Perry is a chick, you jerk. Yeah. Umberto's been reporting it as um, <laughs> an alien. Well, yeah, but Umberto's been reporting, yeah, that it's an alien. So Umberto's saying Hal Jordan as the Green Lantern isn't in this movie because there's an alien Green Lantern that's in it. New so, Frontier, I'm telling you. Right. Well, that'd be but, awesome. But he says it's not Amin Sir. But, yeah, oh, yeah, he did say it's, it's not Amin <laughs> Sir. He says it's not is that Kilowog? Is that Alvin Sir? He said, I don't remember how to say it. I'm like, oh, why does it help anybody? So is it the female Green Lantern? That's what I was saying, too. It could be. But well, I don't to know. To me, honestly, what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to get into the mind of is, is Zach and Jeff Jones, to where it's like, all right, listen, you initially started your campaign with Unite the Seven, right. which was fine. But we all were like, all right, Green Lantern's the Seven? Cool. We just need a little bit of them in, in Justice League, and then going forward, we'll get the whole shebang. Well, that's the thing. But they so, were on the right. in the start in mm-hmm. the set visit mm-hmm. apparently there was Green Lantern like like concept art. That's so, what that's and they saw an alien. That's so why. Let me ask you that's this. That's why they they're saying that. Okay, so let me ask you this. Could it be a wool over our eyes Maybe. that the final product is actually One Green the Lantern Hal Jordan? It's possible. Or could it out. be like Umberto was reporting? Um it's legit an alien. And then he said it's a hard to pronounce name. Right. So that immediately makes everyone go, well, then who could that Jiggle possibly bits. be? Yeah. That's I hate you, Dan. That's what it is. I hate you, Dan. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be that. It could be that. But it's just one of those things where it's just like it makes you go, this is your opportunity to introduce how. And it's a better introduction than you did to Justice League and BVS. Honestly, I don't even want them to introduce how. Why? That's blasphemy. No, I would rather, honestly, I would rather them go by the rebirth of having Hal in there, have Hal do his own thing and have John and have John. No, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with John. I just want a yeah, me too. (laughs) Okay, then yeah, yeah. And I I feel like them giving us a Green Lantern that's alien first is just like okay, we're not going to give you Martian Manhunter, but here's a Green Lantern. (laughs) I like it. Here's a Green Lantern. Henry Lennox. Great point. Or Harry. Whatever. But um, okay, so I. I, My overall thoughts of the trailer, it was awesome. Uh, One of my favorite parts was when um. 
the song was kind of saying, um, but Gerald liked it. That's, that's what song. it came down to. Gerald <laughs> didn't like the trailer. I, was, I, was, I didn't say I hated it. You know what? You know what? It makes me not even want to like the trailer because this is from a guy who didn't like Logan. So it's like I can't even I can't even right, get listen. on the back. Of the other segment when we talk about Logan. No, you today. missed that, Gerald. I'm sorry. I'm working on getting a car. It's okay, but you there. missed that. It I'm was working. two weeks ago. Okay. If, if, if we get to Logan somewhere part of the show, how we always drift off, mm-hmm. I will give my full review on Okay, but I don't think anybody wants to hear <laughs> your take on Logan. Hey, what uh, came in and started talking to him? We fully convinced Wes. He even went on Twitter and was like, yo, yeah, it kind of made me go, wait a minute. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We, get our, we get our names out there because who gets me was like, yeah. um, they, they DM me. And then when I went to go reply back, they deleted their, their thing. And it was like, uh, yeah, you know, like, thank you for reaching out to us. We'll definitely check out the show. And then I went really? to go reply back. Message was gone. Oh, well, that happened. That happened from the chick from Collider, where she messaged oh, yeah. me and was like, "What does the chick have to do to get on your show?" I, I remember like, that, Ashley. Um, not yeah. much. Um, like, what, what kind of show do you think we run? You gotta ask me what. Yeah, that's you just gotta ask me. That's it. Like, okay. And then I went back and it was gone. It was, just, it was super weird. Maybe but anyway, but anyway, um, part of the trailer is Batman jumping into that whatever kind of machine mm-hmm. and saying now it's my turn or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, that crawler thing. Yeah, that, come on, man. Listen, I'm sorry. I had this I conversation, I had this conversation no, again no, no. At, at my job a few days ago. Okay. You can never convince me ever that there will ever be a better Batman or has been than Ben Affleck. <laughs> Not Adam only West. But no, seriously. <laughs> but no, seriously. Val Kilmer. Full oh god. Listen, hey, Dane. He wasn't actually that bad, but I'm not gonna say he was underrated. I agree. <laughs> listen, Dane. Um we finally got Batman with his full gadget. Batman with his his um his costume looking comic. The most co- comic actor. And he's using his money on things that Batman would use his money on. Like, think about it. I'm think rich, about bitch. It. What was the most, like, the, the most cost thing you saw a Batman, um, you know. That he actually paid for? That he actually A lot of the shit in the, in the Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises shit that was there that he started that, no, to. Not, not even that. It was Fox just came and was like, listen, this has been sitting in the garage for, so like, three years. Here you go. Like, wait, why just away. Just, would you like to come over here and have a nice little flying device and then we can go kill some shit? <laughs> Yeah, like, pretty much. Like, Lucas so, Fox is in there making bat suits before <laughs> Batman was even thought about. Yeah. How do you, what do you, honestly, you, you know what it reminded me of? You know what it reminded me of? I thought, like, I thought Fox has been trying to create a Batman. Yeah. So it made me think, like, maybe Fox had Bruce's parents killed and then had him fall <laughs> down the well <laughs> and then, like, let out a bat. That bat motherfucker's die. That would have worked if they kill all the ways. Uh, I forgot his name, but Lucius Fox. Bat, Batwing. Yeah, Batwing. Batwing. That would work if they introduced <laughs> him in that movie. Iron Man, right? yeah. um, but no, it was it was a really interesting. Um, it was really great to see Batman using his money how Batman in the comics would by building things for Batman to use in battles such like this, where you have gods mm-hmm. taking on other gods. <laughs> no, 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 I just, I just said he spent his money on it. I didn't say he built it. I just said he spent his money. Alfred didn't pay for it. 
Time out. But time out. I was saying that we were saying this That's yesterday, uh, not yesterday, Thursday when we went to go see Power Rangers, that um, this Alfred is more hands-on, mm-hmm. where he's creating things for Bruce or helping Bruce create things. Right. He's more of an engineer than just a guy that's like, hey, listen, I, I got your tape. Oh, you're not thirsty? Well, that's my only purpose, Bruce. Like, this Alfred is just like, nah, man, tea? Man, I just built you a Batmobile. How about you go drink something out of that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is an Alfred that does more than just bring him nachos occasionally. But um, this is a really great trailer, and I love every ounce of it. Um, it did I, suck. I is, <laughs> it didn't suck. I actually, what stuck out to me uh, also was yeah, was um, Wonder Woman fighting those guys in that museum-looking oh, kind of thing. They barely showed that. Um, she swept one of them. Out, so but... I was thinking maybe they have maybe a mother box <laughs> in that building, and she's taking out security guards I guess, or whatever to get to it. Um, she's, like, working there. She's, like, painting and in the, remember the little the vignette? We don't know that it's the same place. It might not be the same place. It might not be. But, but that was dope nice. seeing she has an artist painting. All I'm saying is, Jeff Johns and Zach, and who wrote it again? Terio. Um, Terio. Fleshed out these characters the way that it seems they did in this trailer. Man, this could be exactly what we've been waiting for. Because I also can only hope, man. I want to see Diana go full Wonder Woman. Like, completely <laughs> full Amazon let Warrior. Go. But didn't they announce that, um, I guess this Wonder Woman, she's not going to have a male love interest? Like, it's going to be like bisexual No, they were saying she was because she was. she was on a planet full of just women. Not planet. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's established in the comments of, recently. Of just so women. She's lesbian, but... and then when she meets a dude that doesn't have the genitalia, she has to go she's okay. about... Well, not necessarily. It's just a matter of, like, men didn't exist there. Yeah, she doesn't so know what it is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So she didn't know Maybe anything. now. But yeah. now, well, when yeah. she finds Steve Trevor, then right. she's like, oh, men exist? Oh, okay. All right. Dude, that right? Um, but no, they fleshed out everyone. Jesus they even uh, Zach even came out and said, um, "Cyborg's the heart of the story," which Smart. we already knew because he has the mother box. Then um, and that's and it's the story of mother box. So of course he's the heart of. It. Um, but I thought um, Ray Fisher, from the looks of it, like looked like he did a really cool job right. um, as Cyborg. Right. Um, the few scenes that we saw were pretty dope. Everyone who keeps saying Jason Momoa is going to steal the show. I'm not sold yet. No. As many great scenes as we saw in this trail of Jason Momoa, mm-hmm. I saw just as many from Bruce Wayne. I'm sorry. I'm not 100% sold. Oh, Jesus. Sold the show. Dane, listen. Suck it, okay? I'm not completely sold. <laughs> 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 Let's be honest. He's going to be the store. Righteous back awesome, bro. And you know how Thor has those, like, I'm the mightiest god, but he has those script, I don't know what he's going to talk about. Like, yeah. like He's going to be, I feel like he is going to steal the show for the simple fact. He, I kind of chuckled at some of the things he did. In the, they, funny. They, to me, the, the Aquaman that they combined him to be was from Brave and the Bold and from the new 52, like the new animated movie. Yeah, the like angry one. Back, the angry one, but they also gave him like that old classic, like, you know, Arthur Curry thing where he's like kind of goofy. Right. So I, I think he's, he's going to steal the show. He's probably going to be. I really can't see Barry being a comic relief. I can see Aquaman and Barry kind of like. Going I think back everybody and forth. will have their moments. It yeah. looks like it's not everyone's going to be completely super serious, except maybe Bruce. The but main even thing, then, he's got dry humor. Well, Bruce and Diana, because remember, we haven't seen her joke yet. We might see it in the actual Wonder Woman movie, but she right. seems just as serious as Bruce right. because they know of what's coming. Mm-hmm. Barry's 
able to be the jokey type of guy that we know him to be because he doesn't know what's coming, so we tell him. Right. So he's not going to break his spirit. He's the youngest one, too. Right, and he's the youngest one. So Cyborg's only serious because this is a guy who's supposed to be an all, you know, an all-star quarterback. Now is a terrifying Terminator. Um, <laughs> and his dad gets kidnapped. So we understand his seriousness. Aquaman doesn't really care for the uh, the... The, the surface world that that much. Well, we don't know. Now he, he lives. He lives a man of both worlds. You know. I agree, but this this seems like an Aquaman who has been in his his home of Atlantis for a while. I don't think, I don't agree because you see him in, on the surface. It's the first thing you see. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. I I'll go with your point, and he's a man of uh, mainly because we do. Uh, I, I did tell you that the scene where we see uh, Aquaman from that video Zach released, where yeah, he's floating yeah. to that guy, there is going to be a conversation um, between him, Mira, possibly Ocean Master, and definitely Volko, right. where um, he's telling them, "I want to go up and help save them." Right. And Ocean Master, yeah, no. if he is, in it, <laughs> um, as it was being told to me, is kind of just like, "Listen, no, that that's not our problem." Your problem is protecting down here. Forget about all that. Um, but Aquaman does feel as though, because of the bond from his uh, uh, his father, that it is his duty to protect his folks. Um, a vow he made to his father, a vow he made to his mother to protect But folks. in this universe, are you doing the fact that Arthur's a half-breed? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They already cast his father yeah. and his mother. Yeah. yeah his mother was the queen in any Yeah. Right. He fell in love with also, the also like in this, like in this seems like he's already king. I don't know if he's already king. The trident? Yeah, I know he has a trident, but I don't, I'm not. Seems a, like I'm he's not, already king. I'm 100% convinced. Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know. Cause think about it like Maybe this. Is. If he is, it gives Ocean Master a chance to use that. Um, him helping the surface world as uh, as a way to tell the people of Atlantis, look, you got a king who's focused on them, not us. I should be, you know, ruling Atlantis. So that does seem like that could be a great way we don't, to. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of questions. A I, lot of questions. I can't wait to find out how they talk down there. Because <laughs> we've only yeah. seen them in one. I would love to see, uh, you know, how the old cartoons and the old like comics, how like you see like the thought bubble. Yeah. I, I hope they do that. Like. Like we don't see it, but you kind of like the wave. You see the wave. Yeah, like, that would be cool. Stop. <laughs> like, I have a question, like, for the, like for you guys, would you have been mad if they didn't go with like, you know, um, what's the guy's name? Who's going to be the first villain in Justice League? Stephen Wolf. Yeah. Okay, if they didn't do the dark side and Stephen Wolf thing, would you have? Would you guys would accept it if it was the, the uh, Legion of Doom? Because we got to introduce so many villains. Way too many villains. It's tough. Way too many. It's like villains. the. the the A list league of the, like you're not supposed to say it's quite all B list, like, but they're all they can obviously be contained. Where's the Legion of Doom is the opposite. They can't so you feel be like going with like the biggest baddie in the universe was a way to set up this, this universe. Well, I think you can leave the Legion of Doom for later because set them up in other movies first, you know, and then maybe bring the Legion of Doom later. But the Dark Side's not like they're gonna go into it pretty quick, and I don't know when we're gonna actually get the Dark Side because we got seven first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe dark. Maybe they do this. What Marvel's doing with Thanos and wait fifty thousand movies before we get Thanos. I don't know. I'm not sure how they're gonna do it. Maybe they'll go less time, but we'll see. I'm not. I'm okay with it though for now because he is a bit. Darkseid is as bad as. I feel did. like they're doing Steppenwolf first because they really haven't quite gone to how Darkseid's gonna look. I don't doubt that. But even though it's not hard, but not really. 
it's just a matter of you trying to figure out if you want Dark Side to be fully CGI or you want him to be motion capture. But yeah, that, that that's all that is. I think it'll be CGI mostly. Take over, Dane. Hi, I'm taking over. How's it going? All Put right. Put on, Dane. Uh, we have we have an awesome guest uh, tonight, guys, over in Geek Five Nation. Uh, Joe Hadori Cocker is an American f- former music journalist turned television writer, producer, and director known for such writing credits and television series as NCIS, Los Angeles, Southland, Ray Donovan, and of course, Netflix, Luke Cage. Cocker also wrote the screenplay for 2009 uh, biopic Notorious based on the life and death of Notorious B.I.G. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being on our show, uh, Joe. Um, how, how's your night so far? Um, so far, so good. You know, um, it's funny because um, I took my kids. We, we were, I, I was trying to convince them to see Logan, even though I'm, you know, they're kind of young, and I probably shouldn't take them to see it. I mean, you know, they're only eleven, but, but I was dying to see the movie. But then they convinced me to see Power Rangers. So, you know, part of 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 you know, I, I definitely had to turn in my um, geek ghetto pass to to even. <laughs> <laughs> consider doing that one but you know as a dad you, you know sometimes that, that's the price you got to pay so i did and actually the movie was actually pretty fun it was fun probably for the first three quarters and then once it got to the actual fight it just got kind of it just it just you know it basically suffered from all the problems that you know the television series did when i you know that i remembered as a kid you know um but 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 before that it was interesting because essentially what they did was they kind of like morphed a um your typical superhero origin story with the Breakfast Club, which you know it made yeah. it multicultural, which which I thought was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought what they did was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly, it was you know I was I was expecting something terrible, and it was it was it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. That's what I found with uh, Ninja Turtles, but I'm hearing this is actually way better than that adaptation even, which which I'm very happy for. I, I don't remember a lot of the Power Rangers, but from what I remember being a kid, it was a lot of fun. If people can enjoy it with the new generation, great. It definitely had like a Chronicle meets uh, Breakfast Club feel for, for definite. But, um, man, we, we're just – I think we're all thrilled and kind of geeking out right now to having you on the show. Uh because Absolutely. we definitely enjoyed a lot of your, your stuff, and, and especially Luke Cage. Um, so I guess we'll start asking you some questions. I'm going to go first, and I'll just pass it on to my colleagues, and we'll, you know, just uh, find out some stuff. I had a couple questions once I, like, actually investigated your body of work. Okay, so, um, although the thing is interesting. I don't know how in the hell I got a director's credit because <laughs> I've never directed anything, you know. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's cool. I mean, I'm like, thank you, but I haven't directed anything. So that that is one thing I want to clear up, you know. Um, if if they're saying that, man, I'll just go with it, I guess, you know. I want to be a director <laughs> for, for Luke Cage. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'd love to be a director at some point, but, but no, I'm, I'm not a director. Um, and then I know you know people always ask me about the the enunciation of my name. It's um, Cheo Hodari Coker. Yeah. Did, did, I, okay. did I get it right? I'm hoping I did. No, no. Some, some, someone right. <laughs> but, you know, but, but better than most. <laughs> all right, all right. I was actually practicing on mute before you came on. I'm not kidding. Uh, <laughs> but shouldn't have admitted that. But that's okay. So uh, the the first question I have for you: uh, What was it like working on uh, Southland? And uh, you know. That was a really cool show that I think was underrated. Um, Southland was everything for me. You know what I'm saying? Because it was like, I mean, first looking back, right? 
um, the chance to work with, you know, Ben McKenzie, Regina King, um, Michael Cudlitz, Sean Hattesey, you know, um, you know, C. Thomas Howell, just as actors, you know, they, Lucy Liu as well. They, they, they taught me everything about writing for actors because what was great about that show was that, you know, we shot it really quickly. It was one of those shows where basically, you know, I, please warn me if I'm getting too technical about the actual process, but it was the kind of thing where, you know, Chris Chulak, who was, who was you know, one of the, the executive producers and primary, like, really set the culture of, of, the, um, of the show, you know, basically was like, look, actors got to know their lines. So when we show up on set, you know, everything cold, we'll shoot it with two cameras, be in there, be out there. And so, like, they would shoot the show so quickly sometimes, like, if you were supposed to be on set and, and you um, caught traffic, you would actually miss the location because it would, it would move that quickly. So... It was basically almost live every time we shot it. And the great thing about working with those actors is that um, they loved the honesty of the show. And so it wasn't always about having reams of dialogue or bad exposition. It was really about trying to get to the heart and soul of, you know, the complexity of, of being a, a cop, you know. And we, we did a lot of ride-alongs, and, and, you know, it was interesting kind of getting to know that side of police work. But also the writer's room was incredible. And... Um, my first showrunner was um, Anna Bitterman, who, um, of course, created the show and also created Ray Donovan. And then later, um, you know, John Wells was, you know, basically when Ann left the show, John took over. And to learn how to basically write, um, you know, dramatically as well as how to run a room, I learned so much from both Ann and John. I mean, it was the best possible training for everything else that I've done, that I've done frankly. Yeah, definitely under a uh, badass underrated uh, cop show. Uh, how do you feel, I mean, because you guys are on this, in the comic sphere, if you will, uh, well, unfortunately, not Michael uh, Cutlets anymore um, because of what happened with Negan, but how do you feel about uh, Michael Cutlets and Ben McKenzie's career, uh, you know, going forward? Because they definitely made an impact with the uh, geek community. Well, no, they're, they're both amazing. I mean, um, you know, Ben, ben and, and Mike, um, they're full-fledged because not only do they approach what you write for them as actors – they also have, um, you know, the rare headspace that they can step out of themselves and their character and look at what everybody else is doing, which is why, which is what I think is going to make them both, um, you know, natural directors. The same way that Regina is now a, a very hot, up-and-coming television director, um, you know, because it's never with them. It was never about me, me, me. It was like, okay, what's the flow of the scene, and what is my character doing that helps or hurts the scene? Or maybe I should take less dialogue here. I mean, you know, both of them, particularly Cudlitz, knew exactly what the camera was doing, you know, and um, just had had such natural instinct. Um, it is made for, you know, just it's not only just a great working experience writing for them, but also um, watching them on their shows. Like, like, you know, I, I, I loved what, what Mike did with Abraham on, um, on Walking Dead. And yeah. um and Ben, you know, it's it's has done really great stuff, I mean, with Gotham. Um and I like the fact that they're now finally really kind of exploring his range because he he, he can do almost anything. Yeah, you can definitely tell uh Jim Gordon from his portrayal has definitely had like an evolution throughout the last couple of seasons. You mentioned Ray Donovan. Uh what was uh, your role on the series? Um I was a co-executive producer. Um I was part of the 
first season because I was still in CIS, but we were very close with it. And I was part of the kind of kitchen cabinet that, that, that I would say of Ants, where, you know, she would be like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? But I wasn't officially part of the staff. I didn't officially join the show until season two, um, where I, you know, co-wrote episode eight, which is, um, hopefully I won't, I won't be spoiling what happened. Uh, yeah. Um, it's kind of infamous. There was a character named Marvin Gaye Washington, and I had the honor of killing him off. Wow! Yeah. Wow! With, 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 with our with our pseudo Suge Knight um, character Cookie Brown, um, which um, Omar Dorsey played. Wow! Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. No, no, uh, but, but you know, Ray, you know, Ray Donovan was another fun show. It was funny, um, like. Because I grew up on the East Coast. I was born in New Haven, grew up in Stores, Connecticut. And I was always the anomaly because I was a, you know, I was a Yankee fan surrounded by Red Sox fans. You know, <laughs> and, I, and I grew up, you know, loving, like, the Steelers and the Bears, and you know, whereas everyone around me loved the Patriots. So I was always, you know, because basically being one of the only black kids, you know, like I basically was the black kid on Stranger Things. That, that, was, that was how I grew up. <laughs> You know, and when Anne was basically, Anne is, is is a New Yorker, and she was trying to figure out, like, you know, when, build, when building race backstory, like she was saying, okay, you know, the character and you were basically the same age. And she was like, what's an incident that was, is, that would just be indelible for somebody from Boston? That somebody from Boston, when you first bought it up, they would just know exactly where they were and what happened. And so I said, Bucky fucking dead. And she was like, what's that? So then, you know, I explained to her, you know, that that whole story. And um, inadvertently, that, that kind of led to her using that element for, for Ray in season one. Um, so what's interesting is that the way that a writer's room works is that we all write separate episodes, but there are things that we throw into each other that will end up playing elsewhere. So even though I wasn't a part of season one, you know, Anne always kind of credited me with that. But then in season two, it's like it was just a master class because getting to work with Anne and Michael Tolkien, who, of course, um, wrote The Player, and um, David Hollander and Brett Johnson. Um, it was just like Ron Nyswanner, who wrote Philadelphia. It was just a just an incredible room wow. to be in. And that was, the, that was kind of like what I consider kind of like my Ph.D. in drama because – you know, you learn something different from every show. Like, so, for example, Southland taught me how to work with actors, how to talk to actors, how to listen to actors, how to write dialogue, um, you know, that actors can deliver. Because half the time when, when you're coming up writing screenplays, either if you're lucky enough to get something made, it gets made, and then you're not even on set. Whereas when you're in television, it's like you, you conceive it in two weeks, you take another week and a half to write it, and then a week and a half from that, it's, it's being filmed and you're there. And so it's kind of scary it's, it, how fast it moves. To, you know, because before when you're trying to come up, I mean, you know, you, you work on something basically in your underwear for, for, for like a year and a half. And, you know, you're basically just trying to keep a, a development executive from getting bored. Whereas when you're on a television show, I mean, it's boom, it's there. And the actor's like, what? <laughs> you know, so it's like you you got to <laughs> yeah. constantly understand – you know, it goes from being theoretical, like what's my motivation to actually having to explain to somebody, like, okay, this is why your character is doing this and understanding why, you know. So Southland for me was kind of like that first experience. You know, mm-hmm. NCIS LA, 
and Almost Human were definitely about like plotting because science fiction is fun to watch, but it's hell to write. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And a network procedural, I mean, it's just constant exposition. I mean, it's just exposition on top of exposition, but there's a certain art to it and a certain bounciness to it. So it's kind of a, a, a nice thing to have, you know, in your pocket in terms of a skill set. And then Ray Donovan was just really just about like master acting because when you writing when you're writing stuff for, you know, for you know um, Liev Schreiber and um, John Voight and that ilk, I mean, it's it's another level. And you know, every single experience that I've had really, I think, prepared me in all these different ways for uh, ultimately Luke Cage. Yeah, definitely. And you worked with some talent on Ray Donovan. You guys took it to really big heights uh, with the second season. I love the show. Um, got into it when uh, Dexter actually started declining in its last season, well, at least to me. Um, but uh, you also you have a screenplay, right, uh, for a film, um, uh, Notorious, which I was a big fan of. And, and just asking a screenwriter, how close did they adapt your screenplay to the actual film that we saw? Well, I mean – well, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a different question because um, I knew Big. Um, I, I interviewed him for, for Vibe magazine. Actually, the last interview that Big ever did, um, I conducted. And those interviews actually became a book called um, Unbelievable, The Life, Death, and Afterlife of the Notorious B.I.G. Um, and basically, that book, you know, when Miss Wallace and, um, you know, um, Big's managers Wayne Barrow and Mark Pitts decided to make a film. The book kind of became the basis of it, or at the very least, you know, when we started going to studios, um, you know, the book basically helped people get their heads around who Big was. Um, although it wasn't the official source of the movie, but by having me write the first, you know, the first draft of the screenplay, it was essentially like the book being a part of it without being a part of it. Although I ultimately ended up conducting other um, interviews, um, you know, with C's and, and, other, and other people in Big's life, you know, um, but I also had the experiences of writing the book and also, of course, my own interviews that, that I had done, you know, when Big, when he was alive. Um, all those things kind of became the first drafts of the screenplay. Um, Reggie Rock Bythewood um, came on after, um, you know, I did. And the really the film that you see is, is really an amalgam of both of us. So I would say in that, in that case for that film, I would probably say 65 to 70% of the dialogue is Reggie, but the structure, um, the structure that, that I came up with held a hundred percent. And so it, it, and a lot of the incidents, you know, from Big's life, from, you know, things that he had told me, experiences and everything else. So it really is a, a good mix of us both, and I, I definitely feel that it's a deserved shared screenplay as opposed to, like, one of those things where, you know, what happens. People, arbitration with the WJ is awful. So it wasn't one of those situations. It, it, it actually was, I think, very fair, um, and also fair that, that Reggie's name was first. Absolutely. You gave me chills when you said you conducted his last interview. Uh, that's amazing. Um, that's I was just going to ask well, one more question uh, and guess in the direction of the project we were wanting to talk to you about and then pass it to Juwan, who will pass it forward. But um, when writing Luke Cage, was there a specific storyline from the comics that stood out to you more so than others? Well, you know, the thing is is, is that um, 
Luke Cage, because I always loved the comic, but like I wasn't really – that was kind of a comic that you, you remember more the vibe of the comic than you do like any like very specific storylines. I mean, of course, you know, the or, the original origin story with, you know, with Diamondback and, and, and Reva in original form, like, you know, you and him getting out of Seagate. I mean, you remember that much. And then, you know, of course, there's like other appearances. I mean, you, you've got D.W. Griffith, you have the gym theater, you, you have that kind of stuff. But it isn't like you have like specific storylines. It isn't like Daredevil where there's Born Again or where, you know, you have the original storyline with, with Daredevil and um, Ben Urich and, and Elektra and um, Bullseye, you know, like, like the stuff that I remember reading as a kid, you know. Right. Or even, you know, the stuff that for me, like, that I, was my bread and butter and that made me fo- first fall in love with comics, which is really um, the Chris Claremont, Frank Miller, um, Wolverine miniseries. Or, you know, or limited series, because, you know, it's four yeah. issues. But, like, um, I still have the issues that I traded um, in, in sixth grade during lunch, <laughs> you know. Um, I, that was probably the best trade I ever made comic book-wise, because I had the first four Grew the Wanderers. And um, Austin North, who had those comics, wanted to grow, and I, I still to this day cannot believe that he um, traded me those for, <laughs> for 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 those four, uh, you know, Wolverines. But you know, it's it probably the most uneven trade since um, Manhattan was traded for you know for beads. But <laughs> but still, it was <laughs> it was one of those things where it was just like I I just really fell in love with with the X Men and, and with comic book storytelling, and, and then of course you know writers like you know. Chris Claremont is a writer. John Byrne is a writer. Um, you know, Frank Miller is just, yeah. just an interesting double threat because he, you know, both he has an artist and as a writer. I mean, you know, so and then of course once you start getting down the the Frank Miller rabbit hole, you get into Ronin, you get into Three Hundred and everything else. But um, but yeah, no, um, there wasn't really a specific Luke Cage story that I fell in love with as much as the vibe, and that's to me was the most you know compelling thing about adapting him as a character was the fact that at first when I first came on like and I you know cuz what happens okay when you first sign on with Marvel it's like you uh sign away any privacy that that you ever thought you had i mean cuz they <laughs> the secrecy is like CIA level <laughs> i mean it's 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 incredible actually and so, but but one of the things one of the things I can talk about that they, that that happens as a showrunner is that um, they basically allow you to, um, in my case, the first cuts of Jessica Jones and and um, Daredevil, you know, weren't really ready yet, but they allowed me to read the first two scripts of each. And when I read Drew Goddard's first two scripts, and then I also read um, what Melissa. Rosenberg had done for for Jessica Jones because um, I was always a huge fan of of the Brian Michael Bendis um, comic. I was just like floored, and I was just like it just fucked me up. I was just like, oh man, it's just like what the hell am I gonna do? And you know, part of the the thing was that you know Daredevil has Kingpin, I mean, or he's got Bullseye, like he has very identifiable villains. And the same thing with Jessica Jones in terms of the Kilgrave of it all. So for me, I was like, well, what's going to be compelling with Luke Cage? And then I, and then I realized, wait a minute, one of the things that is compelling is the fact that people remember Cottonmouth and they remember Black Mariah and they remember Piranha Jones and Cockroach and, you know, various, you know, like, because if you, if you read Heroes for Hire, I mean, it's just like, I mean, 
there's so many like chemistry. I mean, there's there's so many different villains. There's like a villain per per cover story. I mean, per cover basically. Um, so, but the thing that's interesting in terms of adapting for a television show is that you know you can basically um, tell whatever story you want because people will remember more the vibe of the characters rather than than the specifics. And so, as long as you're able to kind of you know um, what I felt is hit a vibe without, you know, um, denigrating the memory of the character itself, you know, fanboys and fellow geeks will let you do that as long as they feel that it's not so egregious. It's, it's, it's like, you know, pissing anybody off. Uh, and, and that was the one thing that particularly, like, just being a fan of, like, um, of what Peter Jackson did when he adapted Lord of the Rings. Um because there are a lot of changes. I mean, like you have entire characters like Tom Bombadil that never even show up in the movies. But because the Shire felt right, because so much felt right, you know, he could take stories from the Cimmerillion and 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 adapt them. And you were like, oh, cool. And then, but it's only when you go back to read the books where you're like, damn, there are a lot of songs. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't remember half this stuff. But you know, that's the beauty of adaptation is the books are the books. And the films and television shows are the films and television shows. But as long as you're maintaining the original vibe, then I think people will go on the journey. And not to mention the fact that, you know, if you keep things too specific to what's been a, to what's already been depicted, I think people are like, well, why am I even watching this? Because then that I, it's no different than the book. Um, like for example, like I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, of Harry Potter and really the books. The books and then eventually the movies. But, like, with the books, I think the problem with the first two Chris Columbus movies were that they were so they were so afraid of the audience that they just did the books, you know, beat for beat for point for point down in dialogue, directly from J.K. Rowling's books. Whereas once you got to Alfonso Cuaron's um, third movie and where he just kind of fudged it a bit and kind of, you know, made it his, his own to a certain extent, that's when the movies got really interesting, you know? Absolutely. Um, that's what I've been saying. I say it to a lot of people is that when you're adapting something, especially like something with comic books, I give a lot of leeway to screenwriters and directors and producers because I feel that you're supposed to take something and do the best story for the, the movie or the TV itself instead of trying to be so much into the uh, actual stuff. But, um, hey, Juwan, uh, I'm going to pass it to you. All right, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say my biggest question um, is after seeing Luke Cage and how, you know, majority of the people loved it, um, it did something that I, I don't think any of the other shows have. It blended um, being a superhero show with real life, you know, uh, issues. And I think the blend of that was just so well done. Um, so I guess my question to you is how was it um, – how were you able to balance the two, uh, making sure it was still, you know, regarded as a superhero show with all of its, you know, intangibles of what a superhero show should be and bringing in real world issues to um, a product that most people would like to stay away. But if you read the comics, it's always been hand to hand. Well, the thing that's interesting is that like, you know, because, People sometimes would say, you know, it was Luke Cage is, is the, the woke superhero show or the Black Lives Matter show. 
Um, the thing that's always been interesting about Marvel itself is that Marvel stories are always told in the real world. They, you know, this isn't a, a DC disc, but like Metropolis is Metropolis, and Gotham City is Gotham City, but Manhattan is Manhattan, and that's really where, you know, um, all these different stories take place. You know, whether it's the Baxter Building is, is, is in Manhattan and you've got Hell's Kitchen, you've got Luke Cage in Harlem. I mean, you know, Doctor Strange is, is you know, Fat Crib is in Greenwich Village. You know, you know, it's always the comics have always taken place, you know, in, in identifiable real life places. Even, you know, Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters is, is in Westchester somewhere, you know. And so for me, the key was just, OK, if, like if we're going to play New York City, let's really look at what at what Harlem looks like. You know, um, yes, this is kind of a partially, you know, idealized Harlem, but at the same time, let's let's deal with the things that Harlemites talk about. A lot of Harlemites talk about how Harlem itself is changing because of, of gentrification. So let's explore some of that from Harlem natives, like you know, um, Mariah Dillard, or you know, from the standpoint of of someone like you know Cornell Cottonmouth Stokes, you know, um, and let's kind of see what kind of issues come out of that. You know, um, on one hand, you have in Daredevil, you have Kingpin talking about what's good for Hell's Kitchen. But the Hell's Kitchen of the comic books in the 70s is way different than the Hell's Kitchen that exists nowadays. Because, you know, nowadays, I mean, Hell's Kitchen is, is safe. I mean, you know, you, you want to go to Hell's Kitchen nowadays, you know. Right. Whereas, you know, this was the opportunity to kind of, because Harlem is, to me, it's like Washington, D.C. and Las Vegas in the same place. It's like you have all these different politics that you just – when you're walking down Malcolm X Boulevard or Martin Luther King Boulevard or Adam Clayton Powell, I mean these people actually walked the streets that, that you're on when you're in Harlem. And so there's that aspect. But then also, of course, I mean it's like it's an endless source of, of, of hip-hop and R&B history. And so it was kind of just like what is it like to put a bulletproof black man in the middle of all this? And it's exploring that very simply because, you know, I don't even think I anticipated how political having a bulletproof black man was going to prove. Because in the midst of, of um, you know, writing the show, so many things happened. Um, but also, it's just honestly, it's just like, you know, for episode three, when we have Luke Cage going through Christmas Addicts and just the way that Guillermo Navarro shot it, like that whole thing, we were trying to visually match. Arnold Schwarzenegger invading the police station um, in the first Terminator movie. Yeah. And that's all it was. But then all of a sudden, when you got a black man who's bulletproof in a hoodie walking down the hall, bullets bouncing off of him, and you're thinking about Trayvon Martin, it's like all of a sudden it's like, wow. It's like there's a whole nother subtext happening. And so right. that's kind of the thing that kind of flows in. But then again, it's like the, the comics have always done that because um, probably – one of my most indelible reading experiences was, you know, the graphic novel God Loves, Man Kills. And just the images of, of you know, the two black kids that basically get killed for being mutants and Magneto's rage and pain over that. And right. how being a mutant was kind of a metaphor and his, you know, stance of why should we wait, wait around peacefully is very similar to Malcolm X and, 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 you know, of course, Xavier's Martin Luther King approach of let's assimilate and let's basically see that, you know, homo sapiens have nothing to fear from homo superior, you know, and just the, all those elements that are just right there, you know, in the comic and saying, hey, you know, like 
there's no reason why we can't play similar um, you know, politics or similar um, seriousness, even though it's supposed to be a comic book world. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Wow. Um, <laughs> me and Joel were just saying, from, from the knowledge you have, it sounds like you should be directing something uh, X-Men-wise. Or writing. <laughs> or writing, definitely. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, I, 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 I'd had, oh, my God. I'd, I'd have a ball. I mean, because, <laughs> no, like, no, honestly, I mean, it's like, um, I love the X universe, you know what I'm saying? So it's like for me, it's like uh, you know, to do a series like you 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 could just do a series with the X Mansion, like alone. Yes, yes. So it looks uh, you like know, you have some campaigning to do on on your behalf <laughs> to make sure that you're helming something X Men uh, in the very near future, directing and writing. I want yeah. you to do both. Uh, um, well, I mean, but, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like the the X Men are always. Um, you know, a, a huge source of fascination for me, like uh, particularly the uh, the Danger Room, I always thought was really cool, you know. And, uh, but you know, both the old school Danger Room and as well as like once you have like the uh, Shi'ar technology so to make it more like a holodeck that hurts, you know what I'm saying? So it's like there's just so much cool stuff like that, that you could do, you know. Um, and there's just so much stuff that they haven't even, even explored in the movies. Like even with Wolverine, like you know, I I like a little arcane shit. Like like um, for example, the 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 interdimensional bank, Luckman Landau and Lake. <laughs> I've always thought it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, the, like you know the fact that there's somewhere in all, in all the different realities of Wolverine, somebody has his money. <laughs> yeah, you know. Like there, oh, there's so many different things you could do. You, we, you could do with that, which is why I think what's what Noah Hawley's doing with um with Legion is very is really interesting. Definitely is. Can I just say really quick before I ask you um uh, my next uh, my next question, what they're doing with Legion is just like it's ahead of its time. It's so trippy. It's so out there. You know what I'm like you. This is one of the shows besides the Netflix shows that you literally cannot miss an episode. You know what I'm saying? You're literally, you're glued to the screen. But, okay, so to get into my next question, this is a fan question from Corey in our group. Um, he wanted to know, was there anyone opposed to uh, Cottonmouth being killed off? Well, that was, <laughs> well, that's entirely my fault, honestly. Um, <laughs> So you're who's to blame. <laughs> well, see, because, because here's the thing. It was like um, I wanted to do something unpredictable, um, and it was unpredictable. I mean, basically, I mean, really, the person to blame, honestly, is is, is Alfred Hitchcock because it was a, kind of a direct rip from Psycho because the original conceit of Psycho is that you cast a lead actor or actress make the audience kind of fall in love with them and then kill them off like right when you least expect it. And then you're left with the rest of the show. Um, yeah. And so it was for me when I, when I first was pitching Jeff Loeb, like the, the storyline, I was like, you know, the twist is, is that as we get invested in Cottonmouth, you know, boom, the audience rug pull is that we're going to replace him and we're going to introduce Diamondback. And he thought that was cool because none of the other shows had done that before. Um, I don't think that we knew the alchemy of casting like Mahershala Ali and everything else that we were going to make a character that was so indelible to the show. You know, like are there people you know who who will remain nameless that probably wish that we hadn't killed them off? I mean, yeah, sure, but I mean at the same time, (laughs) um, like Mahershala who has, you know, since become a really close friend of mine, he embraced it from the beginning. 
um, as did I, because it really allowed him to really just go all into the character. And right. um, and that's the thing. It's like, I mean, there are going to be people that, that get pissed off, you know? Um, and I, I think what's unfortunate, though, um, is that people fell so in love with Mahershala that I don't think that they gave enough credit to what Eric Louis Harvey did with Diamondback. Because, yes, it, it, it's, it's a very kind of arch zany performance but if if you just just lay back and enjoy the shit it's it's fun i mean like Absolutely. I, I love what he did with Diamondback, Absolutely. and it was well, fun I mean, to write i mean honestly i loved i loved what uh what both of them did um it was just cotton mouth it's very rare you get a villain that you care about like, you know what i'm saying we're, we're so used to villains that are either throwaway mm-hmm. or they're so bad that you're just like yeah no Thank God he's dead. Yeah. Cottonmouth was so unique because you you loved Cottonmouth. Right. And even if you didn't, you know when you developed the love for Cottonmouth, once he was gone, you were just like, oh damn, there's no more Cottonmouth really now. Like, like I like that guy. Well, well, you know, like I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, you know, gangsters are, are they're very fun to write. Um, <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, because because you know, like, and this is this is some of the stuff that kind of comes from my. From my background as a hip hop journalist, it's like I think the reason I got along with um, people that would scare the shit out of most people is that I I was always honest about who I was, you know. Right. Like I never tried to be like more more street or more geek, you know. I was just myself. I'm like, look, like I'm a hip hop geek, you know. what I'm saying it's like I love the music, you know. I went to Stanford, I went to Hotchkiss. I'm not trying to be out here playing like I'm tougher than I am. And as and for whatever reason, because I was just really honest, like you know, the powers that be, like you know, some of the more gangster powers that be, actually dug me because they were like, well, yo, well, like I know who he is, you know. <laughs> for whatever reason, it's like I kind of became like, you know, they would tell me stories. I'm like, look, I don't even want to hear the rest of the story because you know, if you tell me too much, it, it, you know, <laughs> like I'm not from the street. I'm like, I'm gonna snitch. I'm sorry. And they'd be like, like it's all good. But the thing is, when you hang around, like. Like the, the you know the real life people that are like Cottonmouth, I mean they're fun, they're hilarious until they aren't. Until you get to this moment where all of a sudden it flips, and then all of a sudden it's like watching Tommy from Goodfellas or being around the real Shug. Where yeah. you know Shug is actually a nice guy until he's not. <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. <laughs> you know. So I mean, I wanted there to maintain that vibe because when you make a villain too arch or just too like you know angry then you can't really identify with them. But that was the thing that was interesting about writing Cottonmouth, like, you know, that whole scene, um, which Mahershala just made infamous, so, you know, everybody wants to be the king. Like, yeah, that was a great... Like, writing that scene... Because, you know, I I wrote that scene way before we ever cast anybody's Cottonmouth. But I didn't really fully know how perfect Mahershala was as Cottonmouth until we got to that scene and you just see what he does with it. It's just, it's just like, every time I watch it, it's like, Oh my God, this is like the, the birth of the star. This is like, good God. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was powerful to hear the, I mean, he just also delivered his, his, uh, his dialogue so well, um, but it was well written. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it was okay. So Luke Cage did so many phenomenal things. You can go from, bringing race um, into the superhero world. Um, you can also go it revolutionizing what getting coffee meant 
Um, also, <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny because, like, you know, like I had no idea that that that, that joke was gonna, that that was going to play the way that it's played. I mean, like now I'm, I'm like, man, I, I wish I did have a piece of the merchandise. And like, God, <laughs> can I just tell you, uh, us lovers, there, Dawson, and that took on it took. No, on I don't want some damn copy. It took on to an entirely different feel than what I felt as though he was literally trying to go for. But now everyone's like, hey, you want to get some coffee? Hell no. I saw Luke Cage. I don't want no coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but, the, but the, the funny thing, you know, this is, okay, this, this is a good story. Um, initially what I'd written was, I, you know, the coffee metaphor was definitely there because, you know, with that first scene with Patricia, you know, there's subtext to it. But when in episode one, when Luke and Misty, where, she, where the original way that the scene read was like, you know, do you want to get some coffee? His answer was sure. And they went to a club. Actually, they went to a diner that I named after Zora Neale Hurston called Zora Neale's. And they had this great scene where they're both kind of telling lies to each other. And then at the same time, um, Prince's The Ballad of Dorothy Parker comes on. And then they both start talking about how they're fans of Prince. And then the scene that happened at Luke's crib happened. But we ran out of, you know, we didn't run out of money, but essentially we said, look, we can take a day and a half off the schedule and not do a build if you get rid of that scene. I'm like, ah, oh, I want it. I want that scene. And, and Simone, who plays, <laughs> you know, because I'm a huge Prince fan, like, you know, Simone, who played um, um, Misty Knight, and of course, um, Mike Coulter, who plays Luke, they both wanted the scene. It was a great scene. Um, but they were like, okay, I oh, fine. So, and so, you know, of course, as a, as a showrunner, you're like, how do I fix this? I said, okay, so how do we fix it? So then I looked at the scene. I said, "Okay, you know, um, do you want to get, a, do you want to grab a coffee?" And he's like, "I don't even like coffee. Neither do I." Bam. Okay, one line. You saved a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> but I didn't think that the metaphor was going to extend on it. And then once we saw it, we knew that we had something. So then, of course, later on in the series, we, you know, we, we were able to kind of extend the metaphor, and then it just, just became, you know, really funny. And then the audience really, t- you know, grabbed onto it and took off. Um, but then again, it's like, I, again, I, I cannot say, because I say it every time I talk about the show, you can't do the things that you do with this show if you don't have um, a partner like Mike Coulter, because he is such an incredible Luke Cage. He yeah, really, really awesome. is. And um, there's just so much that he did as a character and as an actor, and, and also just, you know, as number one on the call sheet, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, that really makes the show tick. Um and then also the opportunity for an actress like Simone Missick to emerge, you know, um, as Misty Knight. Also, like, again, but when you've got Mike Coulter, you know, Alfred Woodard, Rosario Dawson, Mahershala Ali, you know, um, and Simone um, Missick um, performing at such high levels, I mean, it just elevates everything you're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like I said, it it completely took its own. <laughs> became super huge, yeah. so it reinvented the term. Want to go for some coffee? Definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was just it was just really great to 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 see that. Um. Okay. So I'm gonna pass it over to Joelle, who has uh some questions for you. Go ahead, Joelle. Sure. Cool. Well, I have like a personal question, and I have, of course I have a fan question. So let me start with that fan question. Uh, I got a question from Jack. It's like, what was your favorite episode or moment in the series? Luke. Uh, it's it's hard. I because there's just so many things that I, I I just loved. Um like for example, um my my fellow executive producer Charles Murray, who's also is he's an even deeper geek than I am. Um I loved 
his idea in terms of making, um, you know, the tiara and the armbands functional by as being a part of the whole, you know, um, way that when he got his powers at Seagate and him having them on, I, I just thought that, that was such a cool twist. Um, you know, and just interesting in terms of, you know, form and function, but like just straight, you know, geekdom. Like I, I love, I love that stuff. And, um, of course, um, being able to, um, the Christmas Addicts raid, I loved, I loved how Guillermo shot it. Um, originally the song that, um, I'd written, um, that to, you know, Matt Owens and I, um, Matt Owens wrote episode three, which is that, that episode, but in an outline form. Um, because I basically had, you know, had, had thought of, had, really had, had conceived of the whole season, but had, had thought of re- really specifically about the first four episodes before our incredible um, writing staff came on. Um, I had always envisioned that scene to be to set to um, the mysteries of chess boxing, um, and then Matt wrote it, and then he still had chess box, you know, chess boxing in it. And Matt Owens, of course, I mean, you, you got to check out Matt because he's, he's also now writing Marvel Comics. He's actually writing um, Elektra right now. Ooh. Um, wow. and, 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 doing a, and doing an incredible job at it. Um, but so when when Matt supervised, you know, because all the, all, all the writers in the writers' rooms, when they wrote their episodes, they went out and actually supervised um, their episodes. So he was on set when Guillermo was doing everything. So we really thought it was going to be um, chess boxing, but then um, when Tirsa um, Hackshaw, who edited the episode, you know, she said to me like, "Okay, um, chess boxing was cool, but I want to use a different song." And I came up with something, so you know, so 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 come down to the editing room and see it. And from the second, you know, she put on "Bring the Ruckus," I I, I lost my mind. I just was uh-huh. like, "Oh my god," because it, it fit so perfectly. And then you know this is the thing, the reason I, I, I sometimes drive people in post crazy because like I'm, I'm so specific about the music, so like I probably spent it with Teresa probably like about an hour getting it so that when Ghostface does the first line of that song, Ghostface, you know, hype for the blast verse, singing it so when he says Ghostface, right with him kicking the door in. Yeah, awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's like yeah. because. Like being specific about that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you got to love this shit. You got you, you to be a geek about it, you know. And so Absolutely. that's Absolutely. That, that's what what I love about being able to blend these cultures. Or, you know, even what's interesting is some of the stuff that you do to amuse yourself that all of a sudden takes on a life of its own. Like perfect example, it's like, um, you know, um, the whole naming of the episodes after Gangstar songs. I was just gonna ask. Um, <laughs> because as a hip hop journalist, I mean, I, I, you know, I knew um, Guru and you know Primo, um, DJ Premier, has is, is been a friend of mine for damn, I can't believe it, almost twenty years. You know, um, on one hand, it was, a, it was a chance to kind of shout out like one of my favorite hip hop groups, but also, you know, this kind of came from when I very, from the very first time I pitched Marvel, I was so nervous going into that room. Um, and I, I didn't want to just pitch like my concept of the character. I wanted to have just ready, just in case, a concept of of where the character could go. And so to to kind of calm myself down and not be so psyched out, um, you know, because I'm also a huge Sean the Rhymes fan. Like I, I'm a huge Grey's oh, Anatomy man. head. And, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. 
And with Grey's, um, you know, she always named every every episode after, a, you know, a pop song. And so I said, okay, like, let me just look at some of these. Let me just look through all, like, all my stuff. Like, let me look at various, you know, song titles. It was also also something that we used to do back in the day at Vive and the Source and other and Double XL, which is that you would take a um, the name of a, of a song and use it as a cover line. And so I was noticing that, you know. Gangstar had such thematic titles, you know, Code of the Streets or, uh, you know, Dwick, you know, although, you know, so you just basically just take these moments and then you just like, you can basically thematically kind of string them around and all of a sudden, oh my God, you got, you have movement for where a character can go. And then part of it is just also not just being a a comic book geek, but a hip hop geek. I mean, like essentially, even episode nine, like structuring the entire episode around, you know, lemonade is a popular drink and it still is. You know, yeah. and putting, <laughs> dropping that like deep into the interrogation, and then and then making that into a whole story, you know, um, that that also is tied to Misty's past. I mean, it's just, it's just doing cool stuff like that, you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you Did you have a, uh, another question, Dawg? Actually, did he just mention Misty? I, yeah. I have a question about just Misty, Misty specifically. Um, did you guys? I know it obviously didn't happen, but did you guys? Well, you know her arm was eventually going to come off. We know it's like we had. She has that that moment in her in her life. Did you guys contemplate possibly doing it in the first season of Luke Cage, or did you guys know that you weren't going to do it the first? Season? Well, I mean, you know. The characters are the characters, and how they evolve and what happens with the characters is how they evolve and what happens to the characters. You know, um, it's just a question of when somebody becomes something or, or, or what you're doing. Um, the great thing about television, unlike a film, is that you can take your time, or you could also decide that you're not going to do that. Like, perfect example, it's like if you're watching Walking Dead, Rick still has both his arms, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it, a good point. It, it's, it's, it's like, you know... If and when something happens or how it happens, you know, um, you can basically take your time with it or decide that that it doesn't necessarily work for the show, you know. Yeah, no, that that's that's a very good point because I, I know uh, when Walking Dead this season first started, I felt as though the Rick with the one arm was definitely about to happen, happen when uh, you know when he told his son to chop it. So I definitely, I definitely feel you on that. I have a huge, 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 huge question for you before I pass it to uh, to Gerald. Um, I'm trying to make sure I word this properly. How how much of a fan are you of the comic Heroes for Hire? <laughs> um, you know, I, I I dig Heroes for Hire. You know, whether or not that actually happens is another story. You know. <laughs> Um, but being but being a fan of something doesn't necessarily mean that it will or won't happen. Um, but it's always in the realm of possibility. Is is Absolutely. is what I'll say. Absolutely, I I think I guess you you kind of answered what my true question was, <laughs> which was <laughs> the likelihood of us seeing the heroes for hire. Um, here's the thing. I mean, I could tell you, but then it's like you know, Marvel you know, would probably probably has a drone somewhere, you know, <laughs> flying over Seattle and, you know, this this transmission would actually you just be cut, click out. you know, real short, you know. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, 
feel like going Marvel out of nowhere, like the the, the station we're on would just be like, that's the end of the show. <laughs> like we'd be banned from doing the show from now on. But but I, honestly, the, honestly, the one thing I will say is this: is that the beauty of working for Marvel is not only are they incredible partners in terms of you know just knowing what they have and knowing better than anybody you know their 75 years of story yeah. as they they've begun to make these television shows um and films um the most important thing is always protecting you know protecting the shield as uh to paraphrase uh you know Roger Goodell you know yeah. and they understand the fans probably better than almost any company that you could ever possibly work for. And they know what what people want. They know what people like. Um, Now, mind you, it's complicated because of all the various deals and it takes time, but you know, they definitely hear what the fans want. And, and, and so that's why I, I will neither confirm nor guarantee things happening, but at the same time, it's like, you know, um, they're a company with deep pockets and deep history. And so, you know, all I can really say honestly is that um, anything can happen at any time. And I'm not trying to be vague or cute about it, you know. <laughs> it's like, right. like well, but at the same time, as much as they love that history and as much as they know that history, they also like the possibilities of doing um, other things and surprising people. Right. So, you know, so things might, just because it happened in the comic doesn't necessarily guarantee it's going to happen in, in a TV show or a film. That's all I would say. But I mean, what I would say is that no matter what happens, um, they always want to make sure that the vibe is right because they they love the fans because the fans keep all this afloat. I, I so definitely you're saying there's a chance. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I, what we got out of that is it's a possibility. Yeah. But no, on, no honestly, with with Marvel, since the first Iron Man has started in the whole MCU world that they've built, they usually give fans if not exactly, very close to what they want in all films. I remember something as small as in the first Avengers movie. I love the uh, Ultimate Alliance video game. When you saw Iron Man and Cap, uh, uh, Iron Man projecting his his glass off Cap's shield, that was so iconic because it's such a small thing for for a fanboy to, to, to geek out about, but Marvel caught on to it and made sure it was in there. Didn't they announce the third game? I, th- I, th- I they announced that a while ago, but um, but you know, but Marvel it sticks to fan service so well. So I believe that you know, if fans are like, hey, you know, heroes for hire, heroes for hire, Marvel will hear it and go, okay, in due time, yeah. in due time, yeah, but but, stuff, but you know, you, you, the the thing to always remember is this: it's like you know, um, the comics are the comics, the films are the films, and the TV shows are the TV shows, and right. so. Just because something happens in one medium does not necessarily mean it's going to happen in the other medium. And Absolutely. so, like, what I would say is that, of course, they're very much aware of what people say. That, you know, they read Twitter real religiously and everything else. Um, and so, and I, I don't want to be vague, um, you know, just for the sake of being vague, but things could happen or things might not ever happen. Yep. You know, and like, and they're perfectly happy with with e- with either reality. You know, 
I mean, and so, us as the viewers usually are just as happy. <laughs> Whatever Marvel wants to give us is, we'll is good it. enough for us. We'll, we'll take it. Even those done, curveballs. Exactly, because it's done such a great job so far, and especially with the Netflix series. Yeah. And I Netflix kind of establishing it. its own, you know, where it's not relying on the movie universe. It's its own identity. And that's what I love so much. And it also gives you the little nuggets that it exists within the movie universe. Right. But it doesn't depend on it. What's you know I, love? What I love that. And it, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I also love how the Netflix shows don't even depend on each other. They're their they own don't. identity also. They do. Um, well, except yeah. for, you know, uh, well, well, I, I mean, but, but even so, like, like, I mean, like, like, for example, it's like what's so interesting about the Marvel Universe is just how deep, you know, the characterizations go. From the from a, from adapting the comic books into any other possibility. So so for example, like like one of my favorite Bendis books, even though it was a short lived book, was uh, was the Pulse. And like the fact that you could basically do Lou Grant in in a, in, in a, in a superhero universe is is really cool. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that that as a TV show would be interesting. You know what I'm saying? Because as a comic book, it basically had limited appeal. But you can go. To depths that you couldn't necessarily go, um, you know, in the comic book that means something different in television. I mean, you you could even do, you know, like it, what's interesting to me right now is that like um, everything that's happening currently in American politics, going back to you know, God Love Man Kills, is like with Trump right now. I mean, he is so um, reminiscent of of the. Um, of Lex the Luther. preacher character in God Loves Man Kills. Like, those speeches, I mean, could come directly from the comic book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, very crazy. And, very crazy. And, 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 and so, like, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, the constant evolution that happens between, you know, these genres. Um, television is really the perfect medium for comic books because essentially the the length of a comic book, which is 22 to 25 pages, is a perfect visual companion to adapting a you know a television show because each issue is like an episode of television and constantly yeah. when I'm doing interviews I, I I constantly make make the Freudian slip of saying you know that episode of when I meant that issue of <laughs> yeah. you know because they're they're so um, akin to each other you know. Um, and that's really what's great about um, the Netflix format is the fact that because you don't have commercials and because you can dramatically pretty much do anything you want to do, um, it's the perfect way to adapt things. And I think that now what's happening is that because people are so starved in Hollywood for IP, excuse me, that when they read graphic novels now, you know, the immediate thought is how can you adapt this? How can you adapt this into a film? And now, you know, with a straight blink, how can you adapt this into a television show? Because right. even if you look at something like 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 Preacher, you know, the Garth Ennis thing that's been around forever, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. people have, have constantly come up with these these zany two hour movies that just don't fit. But then to do it right. as a show, it, it works on AMC, you know. It does, right? I'm looking forward to seeing more. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Um, I, okay, so I have a I have an out there question. You can tell me if I'm, you know completely out of my mind uh, with this question, but it's been bugging me and, and Joel definitely for, for the long. Um, is it, okay, 
okay. I, I guess I'll be. I'll, you want to ask it then? Let's be subtle about it. I'm going to ask you this. You don't have to go into too much depth. <laughs> okay. All right. So, would it, I'm trying to think of how to word it. Come on, Joan. All right. So, <laughs> be quiet, Joe. <laughs> so, we had this weird idea that Claire um, or might already possibly be. Okay. No, wild, no, not, not, not white, white tiger. tiger. Yo, that would be uh, perfect. Is that? It's a crazy theory. It's a of crazy ours. theory of ours, but you know, it's not often we have somebody who's a part of the universe right. yeah. on. So we just thought we'd throw a crazy theory to you, see if anything would stick or you went it out of our mind. <laughs> yeah. Geeking out right now. No, I mean <laughs> the, the 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 only thing I you know I'll, I'll say is that. Uh, Rosario Dawson is a beloved member of the Marvel Television family, and you know um, she's a joy to, to, to write for and a joy to work with. Now, whether or not she becomes something, um, you know, question mark. But she, but you know she's cool, and I mean, you know, just watching her what she does with Claire Temple, particularly what she does in Luke Cage, you know, um, her you know her superpower is just truth. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> you know, like, like literally, when you watch her um, and what she does in her scenes, and also like you know, off camera, just like um, she's a truly amazing actress because um, she just knows like that the where the camera is and how, and 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 her relation to it. Like um, she finds ways to kind of be in scenes and be a part of a scene without even being in the scene. Um, she she does that really well as well as um, Ron Cephas Jones who plays Bobby Fish. Um, yeah, it's just really like yeah. an amazing th- it's an amazing thing to watch because they have such presence that they change the temperature of any scene that they're in. Totally, I mean absolutely. We just thought we just because we're completely geeking out right now, so we <laughs> thought we'd throw that wild theory out there. Um, but Gerald, you want to go ahead and ask your your question? Yes, I have a two part question and I have a request. Um, I hope <laughs> I don't pronounce this guy's name wrong, but I think his name is pronounced Marshala Ali. Ali, can you let me know the guy? Marshala. Can you let Marshala know that the Geek Vibes family say congratulations on his Oscar win? And we're um, big fans of him. And my two part question is um, I'm a big fan of Theo Rossi. I followed his career since Sons of Anarchy. And I wanted to know, um, I mean, he was casted as Shades in Luke Cage. And in the comics of Luke Cage, uh, he was, you know, this hand-to-hand combat, you know, karate master. But he also had these visors that can shoot out, like, these Cyclops laser beams. <laughs> so, one, are we going to see that? I, I know you're not, not going to answer that. I know you can't really answer that. <laughs> Marvel probably has like a tranquilizer, <laughs> like like gun, probably somewhere in your home. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, hopefully we can see him with his uh, visors that can shoot like the the side beams out of his eyes, and also with uh, Cottonmouth. Hopefully, you know, I would love to see him return as his iconic character, not just being the the drug dealer or the drug kingpin that he was, but also. I believe in the comic books, he was a flesh eater. He had, like, sharpened teeth. Yeah. He was like a zombie. So, you know, I know you can't answer this as well because, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. 
but I would love to see him come back, you know, as like, you know, like a, a flesh eater. Like he, they, people don't expect him to come back from the dead. He has like the iconic sharpened teeth. Right. I know it's going to be over the top to see him dressed as, you know, the, the cottonmouth the snake. snake. Yeah. Like, I know yeah. we, we won't get that, <laughs> but I would love to see him, you know, I know it's probably going to be harder to recast him now. Now he's an Oscar winner. He's probably going to want more money and stuff like that. But um, I would love to see you know those two things happen. I also have to say um, your success on Luke Cage was was phenomenal. Like to go back what my brothers said on it, it it you know combined the comic books and what what today's like you know going on. I also read that Luke Cage you know hoodie look was based on Trayvon uh, Martin and stuff like that. So I just have to say thank you so much because like. As a black man, that gave, like, the black community a voice, like, you know what, we lost, it's like with Redman, by, by the way, Captain Redman in that show, was, Method, man. Method Man, I'm sorry, Method Man in that show was, like, pure genius. The rap that he did was how the black community lost Malcolm and Martin, and now that like, Luke Cage is the last black hero that we have, something oh, wow. to, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> us young black, you know, men and, you know, young women can stand up and say, you know, we have a hero out there. And he's just like us, so I just have to say, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for Luke Cage. No, 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 thank thank you for just all the love, and also, I mean, you know, um, you know, the the thing is, is that um, Mahershala and Theo, um, you know, are just so incredible on the show. And um, I I also love working with Theo because of the fact that he is um, so sensitive um, and when I mean sensitive, I mean that he picks up not only on his character, but is always thinking about his fellow actor in a scene and is always able to play off them in a really interesting way. Um, you know, and Mahershala is just like, again, like um, master class of, of, of writing for an actor. Um, you know, um, when you have people that give their all, um, you know, and I can really say that everyone that I worked with on the show, whether it was, you know, you know, Mike Coulter or Simone or Alfre or Theo or Mahershala, you know, um, Frankie Faison. I mean, everybody gave their 100% and more. Um, and what's great about the way that they did the show, you know, um, is that they didn't think about themselves and, you know, where's the camera. In that respect, it was more about, okay, you know, what is my character doing and how can I best reflect the reality that we're trying to capture. Um, probably one of my favorite moments writing for anybody, um, for anything that I've ever done, it's kind of going back to the original question where you guys asked me, like, what are some of my favorite moments from the show? Um, that rooftop scene um, oh, yeah. with yeah. with um, Mahershala, Theo, um, and Alfre, and, um, you know, um, and Turk, and Tone. You know, it was just like, <laughs> it, it, was, it was fun to write. And it was also fun to watch these actors elevated because I was on set and I forgot that I wrote the scene. I'm just watching them like I, I felt like I was eavesdropping on something. It was it was just kind of like oh my god, you know. Um, and that was the thing was like I mean I, I feel that like whether it was myself or Charles Murray or you know Christian Taylor or Jason Horwich or Akela Cooper or Aida Kroll or Nathan Jackson or Matt Owens. You know, um, as we wrote, you know, the show, um, 
we all as 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 writers and and producers just like had a ball you know working with everybody because no matter what you threw at these actors they they always elevated it you know um and so and i think that's one of the reasons why people care so much and even if, for example like an old friend like method man um meth is is a is a huge geek and so for him to work on not only that scene, he knew how to how to play the scene perfectly, but also like you know when he and I talked about what the content of that song would be. I mean, he just basically took you know a basic concept that we threw at him, and he just elevated it musically. It was like it was like when I I, I actually uh, it's, it's interesting for that song that that song is actually the um, the first vocal that that, that I ever produced. Because uh, you know, like I've always you know, been around the studio, but that time um, Ali Sheed Muhammad came with the beat. He wasn't able to be in the studio, and so I was actually in the studio with Meth and actually uh, produced his vocals on that. When Meth delivered that rhyme, I mean, we did that in probably 20 minutes, two takes, and wow, wow. it was just, it was just amazing. Awesome. And I was just like, man, <laughs> you know, it's just like. He makes it look easy, and he's old school. Like he, you know, he came rehearsed. He had his rhythms, and it was just bam, just out there. And the way that it slips into the show, um, you know, and, and particularly in that episode that um, that Akela and, and Charles Murray wrote, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, that that whole scene was was beautifully done, and was, was great by Method Man. Um, somebody who transitioned from hip hop to becoming a, you know, becoming a really uh, great actor. Um, Method Man has done an amazing job acting, as well as a historic career in uh, the hip hop uh, world. So yeah, guess- no, no, I mean Method Meth is dope. I mean, you know, um, he's an incredible actor, and somebody yeah. that um, I, I hope to, to continue to write for because he's just he's just fun. I, I I doubt it'll be hard to bring him back. <laughs> he seemed like he loves being a part of it, and I don't think it'll take that much convincing. Um, so, okay. but, but also what was cool was, I mean, that moment, you know, which is basically like, because that was the thing was, I mean, without naming names, there were people on both the Marvel and Netflix side that were just not resistant, but skeptical because they're like, wait a minute, you know, you got somebody on the run. Like, is he really going to, you know, take time to like stop this robbery? And then are they really going to do a song about this? This, this is going to be corny. And so the thing that, that convinced everybody to let us do it in the show was I said, look, I said, if Luke Cage really existed, you know, the hip-hop community is such that you run into people everywhere. And right. so you, when you talk about keeping it grounded and keeping it real, that is real. Not only is it real that, that like, an actual Luke Cage would, would run into somebody, whether it's Meth or Jadakiss or anybody else, if that person was gonna was was supposed to be on a show somewhere else or, or was gonna be on a mixed show, they would freestyle about it. They would talk about it, and it, because hip hop happens at at the speed of thought, and so right. I, I wanted to reflect that reality of that. And then also, of course, the influence on on, on for us for that episode was, um, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time, Perry Hinzel's um, "The Harder They Come" with with with, with, uh, with Jimmy Cliff. Because that character, you know, literally is out doing stuff in the streets, and then boom, makes a record, and then the record runs the island, and is also a fugitive at the time that the record hits. And so I said, like, like, why don't we try to do something where we could basically make episode twelve our harder they come episode, 
you know, and and it just came in perfect. And then also, of course, we had that moment with uh, with Bobby Fish right after where he's saying like, you know, uh, you know, you, you got you got Negroes making Luke Cage ballads, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> I, I, I thought his delivery was funny. That also his conceit was, you know, he said like, you know. You know, brand new car, woman that fine, man. I brought the occasional bank and never come back, which, which I thought was, <laughs> you know, um, that actually honestly was was inspired by a, um, a hieroglyphics um, song for the soundtrack of um, "Low Down Dirty Shame," which was which actually was one of my favorite song titles of all time, which is, you know, um, grab the girl, take the money, and run, which I thought is just like that'd be the perfect movie. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I, th- I think the burning question uh, we have, along with our fans listening, uh, is there any will will we be hearing anytime soon on an official announcement of Luke Cage season two? No. There's drones. There's drones. I mean, the 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 season itself was already announced, so I'm not going to get in trouble for that. You know, season two has been announced. If you if you look if you look back if you Google it, it's been announced. Um, the when it's going to drop or if it's getting made is something else entirely that I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> right, gotcha. Right. Gotcha. I, I do remember him that being announced. Okay, okay. Well, I, I can definitely say this. Okay. We love the first season. We definitely not want. I have to make sure I emphasize this. We need you to be a part of the second season. Mm-hmm. Um. And we're just really excited to see what Luke Cage, the character, and the show itself does going forward. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 a fun show. It's a fun show to write. Um, you know, um, at the same time, it's like um, I love working with you know Mike Coulter um, and Simone and Alfrey and you know the whole universe of, of people that we have on the show. And uh, I mean, it's 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 truly. I mean, uh, come on, man. It's it's Yes, there's pressure because, of course, you're always under a deadline and you got to get stuff done. But I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, it's it's a dream. It's a blast. I mean, only after it's all done do you actually get to sit back and watch it. And so, for me, like um, to watch to watch it, in, you know, in 4K is just like it's just, half the time I'm watching the show, I, I can't believe I'm even a part of it. It's just it's kind of I I know it sounds crazy, but it's like you know it's that's really the joy of writing television for me is that like something that you write at three o'clock in the morning in your underwear, like years later or not even a year later, months later, you're going to basically see fully fleshed out on screen. And it's just like, you're like, man, I can't even believe I'm part of that. I mean, that thrill is, is it's not left me. Um, it's no different than it used to be back when I was a hip hop journalist and, and, you know, like I would write an article and, and see my name on the, you know, as a, um, you know, as a byline, I get the same thrill out of um, watching the show. Um, and, you know, it's just, I still can't, it's, it's a dream come true. I can't believe it. Like, even like when I'm watching the credits, I'm like, like every time I see my name on it, I'm like, damn, how, like, how the hell did 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 a kid from Stores, Connecticut, you know, who, you know, discovered the X-Men in, in, in sixth grade over lunch, you know, how did this become my life, you know? And I'm just—it still freaks me out in, in, in a very cool way. And people have, you know, um, the, the the few times that I've been recognized out, 
you know, I, I'm, it just shocks me how many how many different types of fans the show has, you know. And it's just really just I'm, I'm just really just so happy to even be a part of it. No, absolutely, man. And as far as as far as you saying, it, it, it's hard to believe. I can just only imagine the the hard work you put in to get exactly where you are now, and you know it, it shows. It shows in the the everything you've worked on. It shows, and we appreciate it so much. And like I said, it was it was a, it was a great honor having you um, on our show today. It's just I, I'm still I'm still geeking out. You know, yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> like yeah. to talk to, to talk to somebody that's a part yeah. of something we love so much, especially yeah, it's it, it's, a, it's a really special honor. I want to thank you again for taking time to to join us today. Definitely. No, and I, and I, I want to thank you guys honestly for reaching out and um, you know, it's power. It's the power of Twitter. It's the power of technology. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but but um, but but for me, honestly, like um. I've done so many interviews, and this was a great one. It really is. Um, you know, thank you for for having you know s- such great questions, all you guys, um, because I like that was even kind of the joy of listening to your show is that like you're coming from like the purest place possible, just in terms of being fans. I mean, even like as I was listening to you guys breaking down the um, the Justice League trailer, you know, um, it was yeah. just funny because I'm I'm just like man, it's like they you know like. My tribe, my people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Because you know, it's like this is the kind of stuff that we sit around talking about and thinking about and breaking down. You know, because it's it's real for us, and that's really the biggest thing that's happened in the last 15 years is that I remember the early days of Ain't It Cool News um, with Harry Knowles, yeah. and that really once. You once actual fans of comic books, the people that every Wednesday would get new books, actually found a way to have a voice. Then there were no more nipples on the bat suit. You know what I'm saying? It's like (laughs) then it really was saying that like the audience really is ready for stuff that adheres much more closely to the comic books, and that it's a serious audience. You know that's ready and you know, it wants it. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, it's interesting because um, when you look at um, what's happening with the um, DC universe in terms of the growing pains that they've had with um, with these film adaptations, um, I think the thing, the, you know, because this trailer seems to be successful, I think the thing that they're learning is that just because comic book fans take their art seriously at the same time, levity really helps. And yeah. being able to have fun without without um you know sacrificing the um the expert you know the execution of these stories is important like you know for me it's like the uh the spider man homecoming um trailer I love because it yeah. really does capture you know as conceived what a you know this isn't a case of them saying, hey, let's make a young spider man spider man has always been a teenager right. You know, and so it was interesting to to kind of show what that was, you know, just from what I've you know, because I love that trailer, like capturing the spirit of what it would be like to be to be a truly ha- having a teenager play Spider Man, but then at the same time, like have you know, like I I, I Robert Downey Jr. for what he did with with, with Iron Man as Tony Stark is still it's just like it's, it's one of the best castings of all time. I mean, you know, really it's neck and neck between 
it's really for me neck and neck between him, him as um as Tony Stark and um, Ian McKellen as as um as Gandalf, you know, oh, is yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. just like it's one of those things that for the rest of their lives, I mean, that's gonna be it, you know. Not that they're not gonna do other stuff, but it's just it's such a perfect casting, you know. Um, and then again, of course, I would say you know Sean Connery as Bond and. You know, even though this is a, a nice plug for the show, Mike Coulter's Luke Cage. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. You, you know, when you well, get man, it right, I mean, I, I I think that um that Kubrick is right when he said that you know ninety nine percent of 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 filmmaking is casting. Absolutely, well, and we found that well, out man, on Netflix. Yeah, we, we um, appreciate I, you I, having having you on uh, tonight, man. Just in general, uh, on behalf of me, Joel. Gerald, Jawan, and all of Geek Vibe Nation, definitely come back on the show again, especially when we can talk about maybe some Defenders stuff a little bit later on. And we'll add you to the community, but we appreciate you so much coming on and giving us way more. Uh, you said 30 minutes, and we've gone on a lot longer than that, but the show's actually about to cut off. So we wanted to, of course, do a, a proper exit. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Or, or you know, to, to paraphrase, um, you know, Russell Simmons, thanks for coming. God bless you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, mean we awesome. got we do we do have three minutes left, so it's not like it's going off exactly right now. But no, in all, in all seriousness, we not only are so uh, grateful that you joined us, but as Dane said, we definitely want to welcome you to the Geek Vibe family definitely. and have you on for uh, you know many of things because your love for you know the whatever you can doesn't right, right. just stop with you know, the Netflix series and Luke Cage. Right. We want to have you on, you know, maybe right. even if, when, if after you see Logan. I don't know. I, I remember you saying you didn't uh, see it yet, but if you see Logan, you have to we'd Logan. love to have you on uh, to get your thoughts on Logan. Oh, yeah. Um, no, no, uh, so, so so definitely consider that a date because um, I'll probably see it this week. Um, and I, I definitely would love to talk about that. And then also, like, I'm I'm, I'm waiting for the moment where they they finally dra- drop the uh, Last Jedi trailer because when when that happens, yeah. I'm definitely calling that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it too. sounds like we're gonna Pardon be having you on numerous things within <laughs> the next couple of weeks to months. So, um, I will definitely be in touch with you uh, regarding this Logan because um, I want to know what your exact thoughts are you know, with it being very fresh after you seeing it. Right. So I might even schedule, like, a special episode of Geek Vibe purely to talk about uh, Logan. Logan. Um, Dope. So we can't wait for that. No, absolutely, guys. All right, take care, guys. All right, you too. All right, thanks, All right guys. Take care. All right, guys. All right, Geek Vibe Nation. As oh, my you can God. See, that was awesome. We, we are doing <laughs> oh. bigger, better things out here. Uh, we get it, lady. We're wrapping it up. Uh, that's Marvel on the line telling us to hurry up. That's female Jarvis. Who is it? Friday? That's Friday telling us to get off. Um, but no, guys, we're doing bigger, better things with the Geek Vibes Nation. Um, that was just a little taste of what's more to come. That was the best um, to trail. Uh, <laughs> Um, so after the show, Gerald won't be a part of it anymore. Um, <laughs> we're casting a, another Geek Vibe show member. Um, but no, seriously, I want to thank Gerald, uh, Dane, uh, Joelle, Kanan, who couldn't be here, um, Nick, who couldn't be here. They will be back with us next week. Right. We might also have you missed next out, week's bitches. Video. 
<laughs> you missed out, bitches. We might also have next week Cleo Thomas, who played Zero in um, the Holes movie. Oh, yeah. So that's going to be a big get. Um, so stay tuned, guys. We have so much more to come. And Thank as you. always, Fred, you can cry. Here's the metal that never fails. It makes me want to wipe my tail. It is because I want all your metal. Thank you, Jerry. All right, guys. You guys suck. <laughs> Hey, 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 bitches. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm rich, biatch. <laughs> Ten seconds. No, I'm going to end it now. Five, uh, eight, seven, six, five, four. Happy motherfucking new year. Woo! <laughs>